Hello and welcome, Edward T. Welch. David, thank you very much. I'm glad to be with you. Oh, thank you, Ed. I'm so glad to be with you as well. Ed, tell us everything we need to know about you in 60 seconds. In 60 seconds? That should be enough time, probably. Let's see. I'm a husband, 43 years to Sherry. I have two daughters, married, so two sons-in-law. I have eight grandchildren, four apiece on each side, and they are they are good fun. I have two grandpuppies, which is relatively new. It's nice to have dogs that other people own rather than I own myself. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. I'm an elder in my church. I've been an elder for, for, since I've been in my mid-20s, probably. The work I do is both my vocation and my avocation. How could it not be? I, it's my hobby. I, I just plain enjoy it. My wife and I had a question yesterday. We, every once in a while, we'll pose questions at dinner. Um, and the question was, what, what strikes you as beautiful? What, when you think of beauty, what, what captures it? And and there were three things that we identified. One was a colorful sunset. Second was an ocean. The third, mine was a bit more specific than hers. Uh, the, the Wasash Mountains erupting out of the Salt Lake Valley uh, in all their utter majesty. We used to live out there. It's in the American West. So that, uh, that probably captures just about everything. I don't think there's much more to know. Well, that's great. And if my wife asked me the question, what do I think is beautiful? I would definitely be taking a hint that she's wanting me to pay her a compliment. Well, we, we, I, I, when I asked the question, I was the one who posed it. And I, oh. I said, it doesn't happen. We're, we're not going to include people in this. Okay. Right. So, so you don't have to say I am. I'm not going to say you are. I, I know you are. And vice you won't fish in the compliment said. No. <laughs> Ed, how and when did you become a Christian? Grew up with fine parents, fine Christian parents. So I always knew Jesus, always knew who he was, and and always believed the truth of, of Christ. But I I didn't follow him. That distinction for me was a very, very important one and became very clear in my own mind. Through various circumstances, largely through reading the Bible, my last year in, at the university, it it was a time where I became convicted of sin against you and you only. I saw how the Spirit used the word and how powerful it was. And so as a result, I had been making a few other plans for graduate school. And, and I decided, no, if I can, right now, I would like to study this Bible because this thing is powerful. Uh, and yeah. so I went off to seminary and, and then went off into other things after that. Yeah. So tell us about that. How did you end up in the field of psychology? I, I suspect I, I always had, I always noticed two interests growing up. One is uh, generally medicine and how the body worked. I found that to be interesting. And how could, how could you not? Um, but the other, even, even when I was growing up, even in my teen years, I think the questions, who are we? And, and why do we do the things we do? And how are we, why are we different? And how are we so similar? And what's all this about love, how it seems to be so central in utterly everything? And why do we do things that are so self-destructive? Those kinds of questions were, they, they seem as though they had more substance to them uh, than, than medicine did. And then after I became a Christian, those, those questions became turbocharged because I saw that scriptures, among scriptures, grand questions who is God and, and who are we? And, 
and every page of scripture is a is a further revelation of human heart and human behavior yeah yeah we're here to talk about an exciting new project that you've been working on the csb life council bible tell us all about it ed and how you came to be involved with it uh project like this is is massive utterly massive and and people have tried it before i've i've been asked to be part of things before and frankly the the timing with not the timing but the sheer amount of time was never available so so this particular this particular work with the csb it was a result of a of a partnership between new growth press which has printed some of my materials and the csb that's how it happened new growth press had been accumulating i think increasingly fine biblical counseling material um, so it really was the combination of those two. What did I do? I, I, I just, I just lived long enough to accumulate articles and and longer blogs and mini books and books, and and the, the, the and people called that material for for different sections of this particular Bible. A massive amount of work, but I am so pleased that they were able to do it. Yeah, absolutely. So am I. It's really good stuff. Ed, what is biblical counseling? Uh, it's a big question, and it's a simple question. Uh, I'll, I'll try the, the simple version of it. Biblical counseling is, think of discipleship. It's, it's the same as discipleship. It's bringing scripture to life. Uh, but, but there's a different entry point, typically. With discipleship, the question is, how can I grow? Help me to grow in Christ. With, with biblical counseling, the, the question is, I'm, st- I'm stuck. Help. I am in utter misery, and I don't know how to get out of it. It's the, it's the hardships of life that are pressing on the person that tends to be the entrance into biblical counseling. When I, when I try to assess my own counseling. There are all kinds of different ways to assess it. What makes it biblical? I think, I think there are two tests for skillful care that I, I think of. One is God is a God of compassion and he knows his people. And we will never know people as well as the Lord does, obviously, but, but there is a way we are called to the same thing, to know one another and to be moved with compassion as we know them. Uh, so do people feel known? That's That would be one test. In biblical counseling, do people feel known in their troubles, in, in their strengths, in their weaknesses, um, in their growth and godliness, and in their sins? Do people feel known? Do people feel known and, and pastored and cared for? Um, not rejected, but, but, but loved. So that would be one. The second is, is as we move to scripture and ask the question, what does God have to say? Uh, are they beautiful words that, that bring life and, and hope and, and, and love and a path to our lives? So those are, the, those are the two questions in the back of my mind. Am I knowing people in the sense that they, they enjoy, they, they, have the, they have the privilege of being known and, and then together, 
does God's word sound beautiful and compelling? That's, yeah. you know, those yeah. are the ways I would assess how well we're doing as biblical counselors. Yeah, really helpful, Ed. Thank you for sharing that. Ed, what advantage do you have as a Christian psychologist over someone who has a secular worldview? I, I guess in some ways, it's a, that's a larger question. What advantage do all of us have who have Christ to compared to those who, who don't? Well, uh, same. I'll, I'll say the same kinds of things as a Christian, as a Christian counselor or a Christian psychologist. Um, in the world, one of the prominent struggles is the struggle with anxiety. Um, um, so I'll, I'll just take one, but it's one everybody's familiar with. As someone who doesn't know Christ and doesn't have the opportunities to see who God is, who Christ is, and, and know the contours of the human heart, you're, what you're doing is you're trying to teach people self-management skills. How can you calm your body? And how can you try to stay more in the present than, than live in the future? You know, those, those would be sort of the prominent anchors of a secular way of helping. For us, here's what we know. In the midst of our anxiety, we, we don't merely want self-management techniques. We want the right person. That's the way fear is. It doesn't want to be alone. It feels the aloneness of life. And it doesn't want to be alone. And what we, what we have is the one whose, whose most prominent words and most beautiful words are, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Now, of course, it takes the rest of our lives to grow in understanding those things and having them sink into our hearts. But, but it's that kind of depth that yeah. that we have we know the person on whom we can rely in in the midst of the storms of life yeah ed you mentioned your contribution to this new uh csb bible being some of the articles that you've written um, tell us about the ones that you've contributed that actually ma have made their way into this bible i uh, i actually haven't keeping track of i've kept track of the all the ones that are in there but i I think there's some, I, I, I can remember some, uh, there's um, something on anger, there's something on depression, there's something on addiction, there's something on on um, bipolar and psychiatric problems, um, and then there's a sort of an opening description, what is biblical counseling? I know there, it, at least I've, I've, I've uh, contributed those, there are probably a few others, I'm not sure which ones they were. Yeah, great, thank you, Ed, thank you. How can we learn to thrive and grow through trials and suffering? Uh, and that, in in this particular counseling Bible, that is that is certainly one of the critical questions. Um, I guess the first thing I think is how can we learn to thrive and grow in the midst of the miseries of life? Uh, we do it slowly. That's what we do. We do it slowly. Um, it's oftentimes the spirit gives us these radical insights that we, it's like we turn in a moment and it sets us off in a new course. But typically the way the spirit works is similar to what we see in creation. Things grow gradually. They're, they're fed, they, they're nurtured and, and they grow over time. And sometimes there are these growth spurts, and sometimes it seems to be dormant. So 
how do we grow through trials? We anticipate we're going to grow slowly through them. Mm-hmm. We're, we're going to stumble quite a bit, especially in, in those early ones. And then what's, what's the first thing we might see? Um, that Jesus wants, to, wants us to speak to him in the midst of our suffering. And, and we notice in the Psalms how he wants us to speak honestly and openly. Why are you hiding yourself? You know, you seem deaf. Why are you silent? Why have you forsaken me? But even to even speak with that kind of honesty, uh, where God invites it, he even gives us the words to speak those things. That's, I think for me, that has been sort of the critical entrance into, into growth in the midst of suffering, to recognize that in the kingdom of heaven, it's a very chatty kingdom. It's, it's, not, it's not silence. It is, it is God speaking to us, and we're speaking back to him, and he's speaking, responding to us, and back and forth, and back and forth. And it was, it was once I saw, oh, this is the way it's done in God's kingdom. I think for me personally, that was the beginning of, I won't say thriving, but certainly growing. Jesus, help me. Jesus, yeah. help. And, and then, then perhaps considering what kind of help am I looking for? And then once you get the knack of the God who invites us to speak, then we can actually speak to other people and, and ask for them, for them to help. Ask for them to pray. Give them specific ways that we can pray. And, and then we begin to look for grace for today. Not for tomorrow, but grace for, for the hour or the minute, because the misery seems so intense. Give me grace for now. Then we begin to realize we're not suffering alone, but we're suffering with Christ and in Christ. We're suffering with the, the church, even the world, even creation, mm-hmm. past, present, and in future. And then what's the climax of it all? A patient endurance. That doesn't seem too flashy, but patient endurance that has hope that that the last word is going to be a very pleasant word and all things will be made right. That's a, that's a slightly longer answer. It could be, we could talk about that for the next, next few years, of course, but that's a significant feature of, of a lot of the articles that appear in this particular Bible. And it's one of the most critical questions of our lives. How do we learn to grow and even thrive in the midst of suffering? really helpful Ed. thank you so much for that we live at a time don't we where there's a growing movement of false teachers promoting the prosperity gospel which leaves people without a category for trials and hard times from your point of view ed how dangerous is this um how dangerous on a scale of one to ten one being not much and ten being horrifying well it's it's certainly a ten i think we've all We've all witnessed that. Um, what do I find I, in, in the prosperity gospel? I find that, that what you have to do with suffering is you have to act as if it's, if, if it's not there. You, you can't face it because it doesn't fit in that particular system. God is the God who, who makes everything better now um, rather than gives us himself in the midst of our difficulties to trust him. So you have to act as though the hardships of life are not there. One of the, one of the attachments to that, David, that I found is 
is now that you're in, in, in this process of living in a delusional world where you have to lie to yourself. No, th- no, that's suffering. It's not really, it, it's not really affecting me. I claim, I claim health or I claim prosperity, whatever it might be. When you lie to yourself, you're going to lie about other things that are hard either. You're going to lie about your own sins. You're going to begin to deny your own sins and, and push them away. And, and as you do those things, what happens? Christ becomes increasingly irrelevant where you, you become a Christian because you know, they're the people you're accustomed to being with, but, but you become utterly faithless as a result. So you know, that's some of the process that I've seen with the prosperity gospel. The, the, the challenge, however, with the prosperity gospel is you don't have to teach it. It can, it can sort of come naturally out of our own hearts. Uh, uh, and and the, how do I see it now, especially in the U.S.? I, I see that it's, it's more subtle. It's the, what is the center of some of our worship services? And I think I, I see this in worship songs as much as anything. It is our needs, our desires. And worship songs oftentimes don't distinguish between desires that are good and desires that aren't so good. It's, it's, you know, we're people who are needy. We have desires and we need satisfaction. And Christ is, is just the right guy. He's the right guy who's going to do it for us. And, 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 and so it, it's a more subtle version of a prosperity gospel, but it, it's, it's sort of changing the very center of, of creation to our own desires and so here's our challenge. How do we get back to Revelation chapter four? And okay, here's the center of the universe. Here's the lamb looking as though he's been slain. He's, he's a, he, he is the one who is on the throne. And, and so what does it mean to know him and to worship him for who he is? Or to, to take that phrase out of Proverbs, which persists through the New Testament. What does it mean to be utterly overwhelmed? by the Lord. What does it what does it mean to grow in the fear of the Lord in the best, in the most attractive sense? So you're identifying something where we can find flagrant examples of of that kind of teaching. It's the less flagrant examples that we can find in our own hearts. That's that's yeah. the challenge. And it's a serious yeah. one. Yeah. 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 So true. Thank you. One of the articles that you've written about is regarding bipolar. What advice do you have for anyone listening or any family members that's living with somebody with uh, bipolar disorder? I guess the the first thing is it's it's an affliction for the person who experiences it, and and it's a hardship for the family who lives with that particular person. Which means that if we if we know those who experience bipolar, or if we know those who have it in their homes, what do we do? We, we go, we move toward them. Instead of thinking, oh, I don't know enough about those things. That's for the experts. We move toward them because we do know about misery and affliction. And it is hard for both the person who experiences it and the person who lives, who lives with the person. So, so at least for the body of Christ, it means let's move toward them and, and know them and invite them and in small things that make a big difference. Pray for them, remember them. Uh, for the for the person who struggles under bipolar, what are some of the things that I find myself doing? It's it, in some ways it's normal 
It's normal growth. How do we learn to listen? How do we learn to listen to Christ when we'd rather do something different than what he says? How do we learn to listen and follow? Um, that's, all of us want to do that, but see, see the challenge with bipolar is when you move into the heights of bipolar, you're, you believe that nobody quite understands you and, and you know what, what is needed. You know the things that are most important. And, and the words of other people simply don't matter. How can we learn to live under the words of God? And then along with that, to be submissive to the counsel of other people. That's, that's relevant for all of us. But I think for those who struggle with bipolar, where they're, at some point they feel like what they're onto is so right and so good, they take these risky behaviors. You know, just they, they, they squander all their money on a particular stock. Uh, on a, or on, 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 in gambling, because they're so certain that things will go well. In bipolar, when you're up, the bad consequences simply do not exist. That's the, I think that's the real danger of it. And so, if our lives are structured, if our if our if our moral lives are structured by bad consequences, in other words, I am not going to be unfaithful. Because ooh, bad things would happen to me, you know, people would find out, and oh, yeah, yeah, my kids would hate me. If that is, if that's the way we're living our life, then we're in trouble. If we're ever going to be, we're we're in trouble anyway. But yeah. but bipolar takes away those consequences. It blinds you to those consequences. Um, so how can we listen to Christ and and grow and delight in obedience to Him, even when it's it cross purposes to sometimes our own hearts. Um, yeah. That would be, again, that's very simple, but, but that's, yeah. that's oftentimes the way I want to walk with people who are prone to such things. Yeah. Thank you, Ed. Thank you. There are many Christians that struggle with assurance and resting in God's approval. What would you say to help someone with this, Ed? I would say that, <sighs> that there's an instinct in the human heart that we are what we've, how we've performed. We are our resumes. We, we, we are what we've earned in a sense. We are our income. And, and humanity was never created to live with that kind of foundation. It's not enough to live on as <laughs> we, we are mere human beings and we were created to rest in, in what God himself has done. And, and obviously what he's done most, most clearly for us in, in the person of Jesus. So what am I saying? What am I saying first that I have instincts in my own heart to want to earn, to want to find some sort of resume that I can be proud of. <laughs> so I think the, the, the way out of that is not simply to jump to Matthew 11, which is among, among the most beautiful passages in scripture, what Matthew eleven twenty eight, come, come and, and come, come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. It's, a, it's among the most beautiful, but to, for that to be beautiful, it, it, is, it is better if we come with confession, where we can confess, Lord, here's, 
here's my life and I wish it were not this way, but I'm always to try. I'm, I'm always trying to find something I can stand on that I have done. I'm always trying to build my own kingdom, even though if it's a little bit, try to have some sort of expertise in something. Ay, 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 Lord, help me. Um, I think of Paul in Philippians 3. He's our, he's our, he's our, he's our guy where he presents his resume and he says, ah, can you believe that, that this is the resume that gave me life before? Well, given that, I'm going to rip up my resume. I am just going to burn this sucker. And, and, and I want my resume to be solely in Christ. That's, that's the direction we're going. And I guess it goes back to another question you, you spoke of. How do we grow and thrive in this really very, very slowly? But, but that's, yeah. that's more or less the path that we're going on. Yeah, so true. So true. Ed, what are some of the problems we face when we have a small view of God and a big view of man? Uh, I guess the when you try to put that into scripture, I think of what Jeremiah Jeremiah seventeen, where it says it talks about trusting in man, it talks about trusting in man or trusting in God. It 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 offers there are, there are only two paths: you can trust in human beings. Or fear human beings, or find human beings bigger. You can find God big. So, so in other words, Scripture identifies that that our tendency is certainly going to be people are more important to us than than God Himself. And, and what do you find with that depression? Because it's it, because it, it you're always going to experience rejection. You're never going to be loved as much as you want by the people around you when you put your hope in them you're going to be you're going to be anxious because this because because every relationship is going to be fragile to you you're always it's going back to the question before about earning you always have to earn this approval before other people um, it is it is i think probably one of the primary culprits behind suicide and the 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 logarithmic real growth in in, in suicide over over the past five years, people have been online and they they've been rejected online. So so it's an old problem. It's not a new problem, but it's it's enhanced. If I would if I could put it that way, uh, at this point, um, yeah. how can we? There's a question of life. How can how can we how can we find our life embedded? In the creator rather than something in creation how can our hopes be embedded in the creator rather than rather than money or people those are the two most popular ways uh but but frankly we we put our hopes in money so we can please people so people can think we're we're great in in some way so so yeah the having a small view of god and a big view of people is the same as trusting people rather than trusting God, being controlled by people, fearing people rather than trusting God. And it's an old, old problem that scripture, scripture has wonderful answers and we come across them slowly. Yeah. Thank you, Ed. If only somebody was to write a, an excellent book on that very subject, Ed, right? <laughs> uh, you're kind, David. I, I, I think I see where you're going there. Thank you. <laughs> Ed, you've just revised um, the, the book, haven't you? Was you surprised um, to see how well um, received the, the, the book's been? 
I, uh, you're, you're sort of catch me in, a, in an area that I don't think about too much. Um, I, I, um, I just don't keep track of those kinds of things. I, I thought you were going to say, were you surprised by how much the book needed to be revised? Um, no, I wasn't surprised <laughs> by that. I just assumed that it needed all kinds of revisions because uh, it's, it's just the nature of scripture. There's hopefully when you've written something about 20 years ago, it's going to be different if you look at it again now. Hopefully, you know we we yeah. grow and and see more in Scripture. Uh, so, so to go back over that to do a second edition was it was a it was a pleasure to to then the pleasure of writing is you get immersed in something in ways that just are a little it take it takes a longer period of time and it gets in you a little bit more. So, yeah, the second yeah. edition of uh, when what people are big and God is small was that was a pleasure to write. Yeah, great stuff. Thank you, Ed. We're going to take a very quick break. Ed, thank you so much. Ed, I really enjoyed speaking to you. I've enjoyed your your writing as as well over the years. Thank you so much for that. Before we let you go, please take a moment to let us know your closing thoughts and also let people know how they can keep in touch with your work. Closing thoughts. Well, first of all, these things are my avocation. So so I certainly enjoy being able to speak about them with you. Um, what... How do I respond to to some of these things? I think I uh, I'll respond when we're done. I'll respond with thankfulness that 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 we we live in a generation Jesus continues to remember us, and His Word is so rich. Um, and and who am I that I have opportunities to have as my job? considering how the scripture applies to life. So that's, that's what I'll take from our time. Um, how can people follow me on social media? I think I've already answered that question. I don't know. I've never been on social media. So, so there's a website. The organization I work with is CCEF. And so ccf.org is a place where I'll post things fairly often. Okay, brilliant. Well, I'm going to make sure I get the link for CCF and that will be in the description below, as well as links to um, all of your books as well will be in the description wherever you're watching or listening to this interview. Ed, thanks again for your time. I really have enjoyed speaking to you today. Thank you so much. David, likewise. Thank you very much. 